How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? CuriosityStream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, get the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com slash gift. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. This is the Custard TV Podcast. It's Luke on the Custard TV Podcast, um, joined today by Tony Baskillup, uh, writer of the new BBC One drama series on Sunday evenings. It's called What Remains. Thanks ever so much for doing this, Tony. I really appreciate it. That's not a problem. Nice to, nice to talk. And you, you say in a recent BBC interview that I read uh, that you uh, have been out in LA for a long time pitching stories. Yeah, yeah, I was out Can you there. talk to me about what that's like? Um, it's, her- it's hell, it's horrible, but it's, you know, it's one of those necessary things that you have to do in this job at the moment. I went, I was out there, um, just, I went out just over a year ago and um, went out with the family and rented a house and we were setting up um, an American version of Inside Men, another four-part drama mm. I wrote. Because that, that went down quite well on BBC America, didn't it? It did. It went down very well. They're big fans of it. So I went out there with a bunch of DVDs and showed it around. And we're kind of developing it now with Fox to, you know, to hopefully turn it into a long-running American cable show. But we'll have to wait and see. You know, it's one of those early early development parts. Did it feel a bit like you were starting again? I mean, obviously, you've, you've done a lot of British drama. Did you feel like you were sort of starting from scratch again going out there? Yeah, yeah, totally. That, I think that's what appealed to the idea of going out there is that, you know, there are only there's a finite number of people working in British drama, television drama, and eventually you get to meet them all. And as nice as they are, you know, when you realise that you've met them all, you kind of want to branch out a little bit and spend some time meeting other people. So that was part of, you know, going to America was a fun experiment in that sense. You go there and no, absolutely no one knows who you are, what you've done. So you have to explain yourself and justify everything you're pitching. But it was good. I really enjoyed it. You know, you, I think that was the only way to sort of learn anything new at that point in my career, I think, was to, you know, push myself into somewhere new. So did you pitch what remains out there? No, not at all. We um, we think about that was about a week after I landed in LA and we rented this house. We um, the BBC commissioned the second episode of What Remains, and then about two weeks after that, they greenlit the entire four hour of script. So you know, the first summer when I was supposed to be out in LA doing something new, I was suddenly gripped by this BBC commission to get what remains written, which was lovely and flattering, <laughs> but at the same time, it was like, hang on, I just thought I'd walked away from all this, so it followed me. 
And you, you mentioned Inside Men, which coincidentally was also a four-parter, mm. like What Remains. Is, there something, is that coincidence, or is that how you like to write in those sort of four-part serial sort of way? I think, I think originally with Inside Men, I was asked to do something that was four or five hours long, because that was the current trend. You know, we're going back to sort of 2009, 2010 here. And then when, mm. after Inside Men had been finished and everyone was happy as we'd filmed it, um, I was asked to think of something else, which, you know, in a, in a similar vein, a similar style, where it's a genre drama, but a character study underneath. And so it just felt like, well, let's just do another four hours of something that's, you know, hopefully original, not just, it sounds a bit flippant, doesn't just do another four hours, but yeah, it, that just felt like the right length. I think also when you're writing it all yourself, I think, you know, eight hours feels a bit long and a bit um, mm, pressing. Yeah, I can imagine. But four hours, you know, you can offer, I think you can deliver an authored piece of work in a reasonable period of time and you've got the room to tell an in-depth story that's something that's got more you know, more detail than a feature film, but less than an ongoing series, if you know what I mean. And it probably means that each episode has to be a bit more packed with story as well. Yeah. Because you've got a limited amount of time to tell those stories in. Yeah, you, you've got to get, I think the idea's got to be big enough to fit whatever your time frame is. And four hours feels like, you know, a long time to me. I've got a very low boredom throat. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, as a writer and as a viewer I think four hours just it just feels the right size and so as long as you've got enough characters enough story I mean you know What Remains has got 12 characters in here and I, I believe yeah. that every single character has a story and a journey so over four hours I don't know you divide it up they get 20 they've minutes definitely each. all got their own secrets and lives going on that the audience is slowly learning about as it progresses mm. Uh, and they're not all particularly likable characters. Is it easier almost to write uh, difficult characters like that than it is to write someone who's lovely and nice all the time? And I don't do you get more enjoyment out of that? I personally, I get more pleasure out of writing nasty people. You know, I do need to be reined in on that sometimes because it can become a bit one note. Where if everyone's got the same kind of evil motivation, but I think. You know, I don't think that's true of everything I do. You know, I think if you look at Inside Men, I think that the character, the male characters, despite the fact they're doing an, an essentially a greedy thing, were were likable in their own respect. I think mm. with this, it's harder because most of the characters are suspects. So you have to say to the audience, look, this person, this man or this woman is capable of committing a murder. So you can't rule mm. them out. But at the same time, you don't want them to be twirling moustaches every time they walk through the door. You've got to... <laughs> You know, you... Seductively smoking a cigar and uh, yeah, smoking a cat. on a lamppost. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a really, it's a hard balance I found with this. That that thing between a good original um, empathetic character and also a suspect, and that was probably the biggest challenge on this one. I think there's a line in episode two which goes out on Sunday, uh, where uh, India Varma's character says, "When we close the door." and uh, we're in here alone. That's the people we really are. Mm. Was that sort of the basis for the whole series of sort of getting getting to know people as they are and not the front they put on as neighbours? Um, 
Yeah, I think the ambition was always to go behind the closed door, so to speak, and, uh, yeah, scrape away at who they really are. I mean, that was, yeah, that was very much was an, uh, an early ambition with this, I think. And as far as when I look at your career, you, you're quite rare in as much as you've sort of tried to stay away from the crime genre, which most writers at this stage have at least you know, dip their toe in. Was that a conscious decision that you you didn't want to go down the crime route for quite a while? Um, I don't. I hadn't thought about it really until the idea of this came along. I'd realised, you know, I blatantly just told somebody I wanted to write a who done it without giving it mm. much thought of what that would entail. And then I kind of looked back and thought, actually, I've never done any of this stuff. I've never pitched a story to anyone where the central character is a police officer and I've never opened things with murders so much it's always it's just something I've I don't know I'm personally not drawn to as a viewer so doing this it felt yeah there's a challenge there you know how would I do this how would I approach it and I think a lot of people were asking me for that stuff at the time I think just after the bill had been cancelled a lot of producers were calling up sort of desperate to fill that bill-shaped hole and we're saying, you know, we, we want cop dramas, we want something about the police, setting the police. And I had to kind of say no to it all, because I just, I'm not particularly interested in that procedural aspect. In the same way that I'm not, I never really pitched ideas about doctors. It's, you know, mm. you, I think, it just often feels to me like it's, they're just telling you what their job is constantly. You know, the policeman's always following a certain rule book like a doctor is following his procedures and it you know when you're writing drama i like getting away from that stuff and ignoring what people do for jobs and looking at who they are underneath it all how did you make len harper interesting to you then um, to, me, um, to me the the interesting thing about him was the retirement the fact that he was gonna no longer be a cop in a sense you know halfway through episode one he he walks away from the job and he's got nothing else to do with his life. So he's, you know, he's just an old guy who's taking up archery because he's been told he's, someone's booked him lessons. Yeah, he's visiting his sick brother in hospital. He's, you know, there's nothing really to kind of, he's had a very... And he's quite alone. Yeah, he's... From what I can gather. He's absolutely alone. And, you know, that's what connects him to the victim, obviously, and that's... That's what made me quite interested in him as a character is that, you know, it, I was very quickly taking him out of the police car and losing his badge. And he becomes this bogus cop in a sense. He's not supposed to be going back to this block of flats and asking no. all these questions and investigating a crime. It's completely illegal. And he's not telling all these suspects that he's no longer in the police. So that kind of him going rogue really interested me. But also, I think from what I from what I took away from it, having seen the first two now, is he's not so much he's almost fascinated by this rather than the investigation. He's just fascinated how someone could go off the radar for two years, mm. and it, it's just a fascinating concept to him. Would that would that be a fair thing? I think to say? yeah. I think he does. It's, it's instantly um, he's got instant sympathy for Melissa. You know, he really he doesn't like the idea that somebody just vanished and no one cared enough to go looking for them. So there is a sense of that, but I think he doesn't. Len doesn't know what his journey in this story is. You know, he thinks that yeah. he's just trying to solve a crime. 
as we go through, you know, parts two, three, and four, I think without giving too much away, his story is this realization that he's got nothing else. That he's got, you know, he's using this just as a diversion from facing mm. the inevitable truth that he's going to have to replace his job with something else. You know, he's going to have to get off his backside and find a hobby, whatever it is, fall in love again. In, and he's mm. avoiding and he, all of these difficult subjects simply by going back to the house over and over again. And in episode two, he does invite a neighbour over himself, and mm. that neighbour doesn't show. And as a viewer, you feel quite empathetic towards him, yeah. um, because he has no life outside of what he's been doing for all these years. Yeah, I think episode two is very much about friendship. You know, all the stories that play out in that episode are highlighted you know, it's difficult to make friends, I think, when you get past a certain age. You you, you kind of realise you're supposed to have all your friends at this point. I think there's a line from Stephen McIntosh, his character. There is. I love that line, actually. Yeah, and, it, and it's absolutely me. That's the kind of thing I say. You know, when my wife tells me we're supposed to be going out and having drinks with someone, I'm just kind of like, really? Are we, you know, are they going to become our friends? We're going to have to do this. <laughs> And it's, I hear myself, and I know it's loathsome to be that way, to kind of, you know, be in your 40s and avoiding the rest of the world because you think you don't need any more friends or it's, you know, it's not going to lead anywhere. And I think that's, that's another difficult for Len is that, yeah, the guy's 60, he's retired, he's, he's only just kind of met his neighbour who's been living next door for nine years and he invites him around for a drink. Just that kind of, yeah. you know, come around, i got a bottle of whiskey, you know, I'll see you at eight-ish. And the guy doesn't show. And it's probably means nothing to the neighbour, but it, it means so much more to Len because he built this expectation that he's going to have a conversation with another human being. They're going to get on. A friendship might fall. And it's, it's, yeah, it's quite sad. I also found the line, and I, it still made me... I'd seen the episode twice, and I watched it again last night. It still made me laugh. Uh, the line where um, I think it's Len's nephew says, "No one makes friends online. It's just a place to show them off." Yeah. I mean, having just you seem like you've just joined Twitter yourself. Do you have much interest in social media? And were you watching what people were saying about the show last night? Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. God, I'm a paranoid writer. You know, the soon's over. Yeah. You're on Twitter and Facebook and God knows what I was thinking. What do people think of it? Yeah, it's yeah, it's the worst part of the job. I don't, you know, I don't understand the people that just say, "Oh, I never read reviews of anything I do." It's like, why wouldn't you? You know, someone might hate you. You got to find out about this stuff. But yeah, well, also, I, no bomb threats or anything, so I'm I'm all good. Oh well, they might come at the end of it for yeah. <laughs> if people fingers <laughs> crossed, they Luke. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, I wanted to ask as well um, whether I don't know if I look too deep into it, but whether you feel like this works in today's society, someone vanishing in a world where we are all so contactable and we're online all the time and we're all strapped to our phones, and yet someone could go missing without people even noticing slash caring. Were you trying to say in this that we are perhaps a less caring society now? Or is that just me looking into it a bit too, too deeply? I don't know. I don't know if it's that we're less caring. I don't think you can criticise people for becoming what they are. You know, people are still essentially good. But I think it's harder to 
connects with your neighbours. It's it's you know the what I guess everything's more global and you can reach out across the world and you know Skype people and email whoever you want and yet you don't know who lives next door to you. That's you can't blame people for becoming a little bit more insular, insular within their homes. It's you know it's human nature. We're being pushed a certain way, and we're we're going to evolve into that. I'm afraid. I don't. I really don't think this is the sort of drama where I'm trying to say we are to blame. We should change our ways. Mm. It's just it, there's an inevitability about it. I'm afraid. And as you say, you've never written a mystery drama before. Did you find you 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 wrote it differently than you'd written perhaps the Inside Men's or the other? dramas that we know you for did you have to start at the end did you start at the beginning and sort of work out as you went who these people were and what their involvement was how did you approach it um i knew what i knew who i wanted the killer to be you know that i kind of knew i didn't want to fake it all the way to the end and then just land on one of the suspects i think you know, I approached it early in my career i worked a lot on eastenders i did um, a few years and like 40 episodes. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal of that and that's kind of like a really good training ground and I think I probably approach this quite similarly because it's one of those multi-character stories where everyone's sort of living next to each other and they kind of know each other's business but there's things they don't know about each other so it felt you know I kind of approached it that way to said look let's divide up all of my characters and all their stories then let's look at places where they can interlink and we can we can get them through each other's doors so I didn't you know, it didn't feel weird in that sense. What what always felt weird was, you know, how do I get a policeman through the door and how do I get him asking particular questions? And that was the challenge for me. The rest of it, the mm. interconnecting families felt perfectly easy to write, I think. And I mean, also I wanted to ask how involved you were on set. Are you the sort of writer who writes the piece, sends it off and... and the BBC do what they will and the director does what they will or do you stay in touch with everything as it goes along um well with this one I was a lot of the time I was living in another country so it was if we were shooting this in January and I was in America for that period so I came back a few times and sat on the set for a day or two like I normally do and you don't have anything to do as a writer on a set. You know, you are in the way. But everyone's really nice to you. And everyone just keeps asking if you want anything and if you're happy with everything. And of course you are. But it's, you know, it's good because we have such an experienced director and cast that you don't have to worry. You know, it always amazes me how well they make these things, how much talent there is, you know, in the TV industry as, as a craft. They just, they, you know, they turn it out so well every time that I think as a writer in this country, you can, you know, hope that the right people have been hired and usually they are and step back. And do you feel like the time you spent in America taught you anything about the British television industry? Um, 
yeah, I really liked it. You know, I I like the British TV industry. I, you know, I love working in drama. It's it's a really difficult job because you have so many different stories and so many different ideas, and you want to sell everything. But physically, it's impossible. So you kind of, you know, you take your bag full of pictures out and you you sell what you can. But I really, yeah, I really like working over here. You know, I like America as well because it feels like a challenge and it's a place to go and work. And but here, yeah, it's. I think the all the pieces are slightly smaller, but I think we do that well. You know, I think we do really good serial drama over here, which you don't get in America so much. I mean, they've begun with their limited series, but they don't usually do this. You know, if they ever bought What Remains, they'd have to turn it into 12 hours, you know, instantly. And you're going to lose, you're going to lose something in that, aren't you, really, if you turn it into a 12-hour piece? Yeah, you do something, but then again, you have to, you know, you're hoping you gain something different. So it's never going to be the same. I think that's kind of working doing this redraft of Inside Men is teaching me that, that, you know, there's nice, there's good things that you have to put aside and you, new things you have to bring in. And how, in, you don't get involved presumably in the casting, but you must have been thrilled that this was David Threlfall's first sort of move outside of Shameless. Yeah, as a writer, you're kind of involved, you know, everything sort of comes through you. You've got directors who, and casting agents who, you know, who make that initial approach to people and then bring you lists of who they want. And so there is ongoing discussion about who's going to be cast. But David Threlfall was always, you know, he was a very much a surprise to me when the name came up because I still mm. thought he was on Shameless. And, you know, he hadn't really been available to do other work for a long time. He's been associated with that role for such a long time now. Yeah, and it, it wasn't, you know, everyone knows how well he can act. It just felt like, oh my God, suddenly, you know, we can use him again. It's like he's been off limits for a decade and now he's here and why the hell not? And it was just, yeah, I was so pleased with his performance in this. Cool. And Stephen, Stephen McIntosh moving from Inside Men to What Remains, was that coincidental as well? Or did you think you had a hand in that? Uh, he's a lucky Did you write that? You know, he just learned all the best parts, <laughs> all the best written scripts. I don't know how he does it. He's... <laughs> Yeah, it's again, you know, people, you know, they suggest the names. And I think with Inside Men, that was the original. And somebody mentioned uh, Stephen McIntosh, and it was like, yes, get him. And Price just landed him. And with this, it felt like a no-brainer. You know, if if he was available and if he liked it, then we wanted him. And, yeah, I'd love to do something else with him again. Do, do you ever... We've said before how these people aren't necessarily likeable. Do you ever... Are you the sort of writer that goes out with a pad and paper when you're out and just jots down various things people say or that looks at people's characteristics and thinks I could make that, I could turn that into something? No, no, never. I don't. I really don't ever consciously observe people and think what they'd be like as a character. I think when you create a character in a drama, they come from so many different sources. There's never usually kind of one inspiration for that person. It's... You kind of build them up, and every draft you do, they become slightly different, but hopefully there's another layer to them. But no, I don't really... I don't go out and observe people in that sense. Mm. And did you find you had to feel empathetic towards Melissa as well when you were writing her to make the audience feel that, you know, we've lost somebody unique and special here? Yeah, I think... You know what really helped on that after I, you know, because I'd set up the detective angle and all the suspects and I knew all that. 
and there's you know there's the, that fantastic documentary uh, Dreams of a Life, um, which it, which explores the story of a woman who was sat in a flat for three years, dead in front of the telly, and her oh, yes, and fascinating. After watching that documentary, knowing that I think originally I I wanted my victim to be dead for about three months, but after seeing that documentary, I thought, you know what, you can get away with a couple of years here if you play it right. If your victim is in the right particular circumstances, then you can do it. And so, that, you know, that kind of helped with. Obviously, that was a true story about a real person. I didn't want to build a character around that, but mm. it, you know, that was one of those. I think it was just one of those documentaries that highlighted if you're going to do this story, you've got to be respectful of who the victim is, is as well. It can't just be a slab of meat in the loft. It's got to feel like there's an actual person. And there's a sadness to it. You know, that's, she's a lonely woman. There's, you know, but yet she's lovely. You know, it's, it's nothing she particularly does wrong that, that alienates her from other people. And because of that time that's passed, I mean, all the all the f- people we're used to seeing in crime drama, like forensic scientists and all those sort of people, they're sort of useless, really, aren't they? Because they yeah. can't do much with mum and five remains. Yeah, that was important to me. I didn't. I really didn't want to go into the whole CSI territory of, you know, nine autopsy and special lasers and lights, and you know, I just wanted to get rid of all that stuff and do a proper drama of. Here's a body, here's someone who wants to solve it, and here's a bunch of suspects. And you've saved money on the white suits yeah, as well. Which that's must... I'm always <laughs> trying to save money for the BBC. <laughs> yeah, and the less paper suits, the better, I'd imagine. Yes. And something like that. Um, what happens that you're happy to tell us uh, in episode two that you can sort of tease... Uh, that you're happy to say. Episode I don't two. want to give away too much. Episode two, as I think I said a bit earlier, is very much about the theme of friendship. And um, it's about Melissa's connection with Peggy and Elaine, the couple who live downstairs, and how they were involved in her life for a short period. Um, a mm. friendship that kind of was established. Um, and yeah, lots to look forward to in that. It's very. It's, it remains very eerie as well. How do you, as a writer, build the atmosphere like that? Um, you know, that eerie sort of tense atmosphere. Is that the director, or is that something you've put in the script? I think it's both. Hopefully, it's both. I mean, it's obviously the direction. You know, can serve that well, or it can trample all over it if it's in a script. But you know, Koki Gidroy did such a good job on this that you know she creates tension just by being in that in that stairwell sometimes but you do kind of write that stuff you have to write that stuff you know you, you're writing these scenes in a particular order in order to create suspense and tension you know it's like the opening scene in part in episode one about going into the loft you, you can't just rush a character into a precarious situation it's about how slow you do it it's about her placing mm. the food out it's about her standing at the bottom of the ladder and calling up it's you know, you can't just throw dynamite at people constantly. You've got to build it, and you've got to understand, I think, where the audience are and how they're following this story. So do the audience know a little bit more than the character? Hopefully that that's what creates some suspense. And also it was interesting for me watching episode two because it's not your average police drama because we get to see these people. We get to see Joe Sellers at school 
we get to see um, a lot of the characters at work. So that must have been an interesting element to do as well, and to come away from the continual police investigation side and to get to know them a bit closer like that. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, to be honest, I I wanted the more I could do in the house, the better. I thought, but we do need to. We always needed to sort of stretch out away from that that one house at times, and you know, show like you know, Kieran at work and Joe Sellers at work, like you said, and. They do have lives beyond this house, but yeah, they've got interesting little kind of careers that, that tell us who they are. But I always feel like the most tension, the most drama we get is when we're at the house. You know, that's kind of like the 13th character in a sense. I also was watching it last night thinking, I could never live like that. <laughs> I could never live on top of people like that. And I'm wondering, do you, do you think um, the house itself plays a part? in why we feel so it's so eerie and awkward i thought like the the house itself was quite a scary place to be yeah i think you know that's partly the way they've designed the set and the way they've shot it but yeah it's it's those the connection between the characters as well hopefully the fact that there's these little niggles that they have with each other that they've got history with one another and you know, if you've ever lived in a flat, then you know what it's like to have music above you and music below you, and mm. you know, and listening to other people shouting and then fighting, and it just—I don't know—it's very easy for that to set conflict. You know, it, what? there's always a reason for people to hate each other in those situations. What do you enjoy on TV? What what gets you? interested you said you have a low attention span I do. you don't like crime drama <laughs> so is it like cbb's and the, the short and lots of colors and things like that yeah that pretty much that's me um <laughs> yeah i think i try i don't watch a hell of a lot of scripted television i do because it's sort of work you know it's like the same reason yeah. i don't Bestman's read books but i do i love watching documentaries i love things um particularly about space i don't know why you know, I know a lot about the planets and the universe. I love that stuff. Um, yeah, documentaries. I try and watch comedies. There aren't many good ones at the moment. I don't know why. There's definitely not many good ones. I think ones. somebody needs to sort of just write a really good sitcom, and I'm waiting for that. But, yeah, I, I, I tend to stay slightly away from from scripted drama, you know, particularly British, because it, it's difficult because there's always someone I know who's worked on that show and that slightly ruins mm. that suspension of disbelief, I suppose, that you think, well, it's not actually a drama, it's just something that people made. I suppose if you're you're watching it, you're thinking, you know, I know that person, and I know how they would have shot that, and I know why they put that line in. It must take away a lot from the enjoyment of it. I yeah, imagine. and I'd better tell them how much I enjoyed it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you did or not. <laughs> And what's next for you? You going back to the states uh, for more Inside Men? Have you got anything else in the UK in the pipeline at the minute? Yeah, a bit, a bit of each at the moment. I've got. A, I'm going back to um, LA in a few months. I'm writing the pilot of Inside Men, um, so I've got to go back and be told what I've done wrong on there, and developing stuff as well. I've got several projects on the go in development. So hopefully, I'm kind of you know well positioned to grab the next offer wherever it comes from, I think. 
How aware are you that you're writing something for an American audience? Do you have to change anything the way the way you'd write it? The, some of the dialogue rhythms or anything. I've always been interested in when things are remade, mm. when the writer's involved, whether it, it changes almost beyond belief, or whether you try and keep it as similar to the first episode of of the series as I know it. Um, I th- it's difficult. It depends what's happening with the format, I guess. You know, I'm trying to, with Inside Men, I'm trying to take what was essentially four hours of drama and turn it into what will hopefully become 60 hours of drama. So, wow. you know, there are there are big changes to be made. Um, I, there are obvious little things as well, like language changes. But mm. as a writer, some people read your script that if you make a mistake, they point it out. And, you know, they love pointing out your mistakes. So <laughs> it's never going to be a shortage of that. And it's it's doable, you know. People wear pants yeah. instead of trousers. You know, they're kind of small things. Yeah, that sort of thing is that they go in a garage rather than a garage. Yeah, I think I was yeah. using the word lift for a while when they use escalator, mm. and they all had a good laugh. Elevator. Yeah, but also I suppose with something like Inside Men, which was a lot of flashback, mm. you could sort of start the story and do it chronologically. You could. I'm not going to tell you if we do or not, but <laughs> one I do. Okay, I'll let you go. Thank you ever so much, Tony. I wish you all the best with uh, the remains of what remains, and uh, and the American version of Inside Men, which hopefully we will see uh, soon in the UK. Are you keep? Can you? Are you allowed to say whether you're even keeping the title, uh, or whether they've asked you to change the title? At the moment, they haven't asked me to change the title, but I, I'll do what needs to be done, I guess. We'll see. You know, yeah. We'll keep going. But I love it. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, Lou. Download this podcast from thecustardtv.com. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.